If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. I'm Pete Wargent and my co-host, as usual, is Chris Bates. Chris, how's your week been? Life's good here, Pete. I, um, we've recovered. We went a uh, big group of uh, it was a nine families all went away camping for the weekend uh, and it absolutely belted down. Um, the storm of all storms happened to hit on the Saturday night when we were camping, so it was like a a war effort getting out of there in the rain on Sunday morning, but um, I'm finally dry three days later. But um, how are you doing? It's one of those breaks where you get back uh, home and you're more tired than when you left and you need to recover by going back to work, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm familiar with the same. I've done some camping in uh, the past year or two and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, a challenge to say the least. Uh, yeah, my week's been good. Um, pretty quiet, to be honest. I uh, don't really follow the the Melbourne Cup these days so much. And um, yeah, I've had, interestingly, um, a few inquiries from people overseas, expats and so on, looking to buy property in Australia. A bit of FOMO happening, I guess, um, people reading stories about record low vacancies and were sort of worrying about the future, which I guess has been one of the big stories in the news this week, as we'll come on to. Mm. Um, so yeah, just pretty quiet overall. Um, so this is our weekly two cents segment where we tackle the big three property news stories of the week and also anything that you want us to cover in your questions. So Chris, these were the three stories we got this week. So uh, Reserve Bank of Australia policy decision, interest rate hike as expected by markets. The return of foreign buyers has been multiple articles in the media this week about that, uh, something which we've actually seen ourselves firsthand. And um, then thirdly, um, yeah, there's a bit going on elsewhere in the world. And um, yeah, we um, actually are seeing, well, actually, I was on the uh, the Fresh Economic Thinking uh, podcast with Cameron Murray uh, this week. And we talked a little, about, uh, a little bit about Australia's regional renaissance and how well that might be sustained. And I know that's something you've been tracking really closely over the past year or two. Um, I've heard you talking about it many times. So I thought we could come back to that one and see what's going to happen, especially in the context of the change 
in interest rates and so on. So, um, yeah, look, let's let's start from the top. So, Reserve Bank of Australia hiked interest rates by 25 basis points. Because um, the, the thing that I found interesting here, this is taking the cash rate uh, to a 12-year high, mm-hmm. uh, 4.35%. But actually, when you looked at the language of the statement, um, and actually if you looked at what market reaction was, the Aussie dollar fell quite significantly. And, uh, yeah, bond yields fell sharply. And then I guess, you know, off the back of some very weak data out of China and elsewhere in the world, if you look at where three-year bond yields are in Australia, as we record this, the next day, um, about 4.17%. So it was only a week or two ago, we were nearly at four and a half. So uh, despite the hike being delivered, yields have come Mm. down. So I guess, what do you make of that? I mean, I think a part of it was because of the language used in the statement. Uh, So previously, the RBA said some further tightening of monetary policy may be required. But now the language has changed to whether further tightening is required is up for debate. So there's a lot of uncertainty there. And also they talked a bit about um, some households experiencing severe financial stress, which is another, I guess, dovish message. And and maybe look, markets are saying that if the RBA is determined to bash inflation down, that that means, uh, you know, that's the sooner interest rates can start falling next year too. So uh, what did you make of it? You kind of took the words out of my mouth there, Pete, uh, with that final line. Um, I'm actually going to steal some words out of your blog yesterday, Leaf, out of (laughs) Pete Pete Wargent's um, daily blog, the best blog in the country. Um, uh, And um, you sort of said, you know, it's fighting yesterday's problem. You know, are we we lifting rates when it looks like that, you know, the problem's kind of been solved and all the measures are coming down like they should? And are we just potentially, um, you know, putting another nail in the coffin, I guess, when it's already slammed shut? And um, I actually think it's not a bad thing. You know, ultimately, I agree with what you said there at the end. It's just another sign that, you know, they really want to kill inflation. And when they do kill inflation, rate cuts will come on the back of that. You know, it's not sustainable to keep them at these rates. You know, really, you know, they want credit growth. They want housing price growth. Um, they want that wealth effect. They want that to kick into resale sales and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, you know, kick our construction industry back up. The construction industry is really hurting. That's a big part of our economy. So I would say that, you know, it's what I said to the team yesterday, I don't think it's going to change the market too much. Um, we had two clients buy in the last 24 hours. I, I, I always like to do a check. Um, when did they first speak to us? Um, not always, but sometimes, particularly the ones that have been a while. And um, the two yesterday spoke to us over three years ago. Um, well, one was about two and a half to three years. One was, you know, three to three and a half years. Um, and there'd been, one was an investor um, and one was a upgrader, I guess you call it. But they've been out of the market for three years. So they did have something. They built something. They sold, had an apartment. They sold it because they outgrew it. But they've been waiting to get into the housing market in um, northern parts of Sydney. And so um, we had a couple of clients a few months ago that were six years Um just coincidentally in the same week, six years they've been looking to upgrade and buy their first home. And so I reckon they're not going to be deterred. They've been waiting for three to six years or one to four years to get into the market. Are they going to change their mind over 25 basis points? No, they're still going to be there. There's so much pent-up demand out there and there's also new buyers entering because, you know, there's just natural demographics and like you said, Pete, FOMO, whether it's people coming back from overseas, rental stress. I do think that vacancy rate, which you highlighted, is He's a key driver of prices. I mean, I've seen a lot of, um, you know, people talking about why the market's 
uh, doing so strong right now. And they're saying it's because of migration. I think that's really simple thinking. I actually don't think that's the cause of this. I think it's just our natural demographics, our natural undersupplied, um, low listings and pent-up demand in the market. Migration is usually something that comes years down the line. It's not the migration. Maybe that's causing more rental stress, yes. Um, maybe the rental stress is causing the people who are in a, you know, have been here a while um, to buy, but it's not the people moving here that are usually buying the property. Um, so it's not that uh, linear thinking. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I think the, the higher rates go, the faster and earlier they'll come down. And, you know, so it's, that's one of the, the, the messages of the RBA, go hard and go early is what they talk about when they want to kill inflation. Um, there's no point sort of, uh, you know, doing small, slow, steady rate hikes. No one would have thought they would have risen as fast as they have. But, you know, it didn't, shouldn't really surprise us on reflection that if there was an inflation outbreak that they would go hard and they'd go early. That's what the learnings out of the GFC was, I think, uh, the RBA took away. So, yeah, I, I think, and if anything, I think it'll slow down sellers because sellers will be like, you know, particularly upgraders might be like, oh, 435, or maybe it's going to 460. Oh, it's already a lot of debt. Oh, I can't borrow as much money because it does affect your borrowing capacity. Um, maybe those that there's, oh, you know what, let's just sit on the sidelines. And so what we could do is in February next year still see even less supply come on the market because sellers want to sit on their hands. But I don't think it's going to affect too much on the buyer side. But um, what's your take, Pete? Yes. Yeah, so, well, look, they always say a thing that, that, you know, the plural of anecdotes is not data, but certainly we are seeing every day we're getting new clients come on board wanting to buy. Now, bear in mind, we do have a somewhat Brisbane-centric view of what's going on. Uh, but yeah, and I think that's largely a function of there being very little stock on the market. People are finding it hard to buy. There's a bit of FOMO because um, prices have risen against expectations. As you said, I think some people are fearful of selling because they're worried that they can't uh, find somewhere to buy. In fact, I know that's the case because I've had people come to me with that exact dilemma. Um, now, uh, I think the other thing is, if you look at what's happened in other parts of the world, so we get these um, uh, sort of flash readings, they call them PMIs, uh, without getting too heavy onto the jargon. And if you look at um, uh, sort of uh, the, the manufacturing indexes around the world, where well, we've seen um, US China, the Eurozone, they've all gone down in October. And we haven't not we have not seen that throughout the entire pandemic. So we've we've basically reached this the pain stage of the cycle. And um, if you looked at um, say Germany this week, manufacturing output has fallen by 12% from the peak. It's getting annihilated. The uh, construction industry over there is in uh, for want of a better phrase, deep shizer. And uh, the interestingly, France came out this week and said inflation is defeated. For this cycle. So look, Australia is slightly different because we're a bit further behind in this journey, but I think people can see what's coming. Um, now, I'm not going to say that there won't be a second interest rate hike on the back of this one, because a bit like London buses, you know, nothing happens for a while and then you get two together, bang, bang. And in fact, a friend of mine, uh, Melbourne economist Rajat Sood calls it uh, the double tap, you know, uh, like the old gangster movies, you know, bang, bang. Uh, but there is something in that because if the hurdle for an interest rate hike, you know, it has to be it has to be a real reason to hike. And usually if the hurdle is met, then you quite often see a second hike on the back of it. I think the the, the, the RBA is, uh, well, we've got a new governor for one thing, uh, so determined to kill inflation. But I think um, uh, given 
the floating Aussie dollar, but also how interest rates are much more impactful in Australia, much more so than, say, in the US, where most people are on fixed rate mortgages. Mm -hmm. And I think they've, they've just got the confidence to go, well, we can go again. You know, the, the economy hasn't broken yet. Unemployment's 3.6%. Um, so, and they do know that, you know, worst case, they can start cutting again next year. So, yes, we've got interest rates at a 12-year high. Nothing's particularly blown up yet, but I guess uh, we may well see over the next few months, um, some uh, mortgage stress. Well, and Westpac was out this week, I saw with its results. And yeah, mortgage arrears are low, but stressed exposures are rising. And I think, and you'd have a better handle on this than me, Chris, but I think some of the banks will actually offer discounts to people in severe mortgage stress because there's going to be some. You know, we've seen such a big change in interest rates so quickly. I think you made some amazing points there. The whole double tap—I haven't heard that one before. I've heard the buses. Uh, <laughs> That's to copyright from Raj. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I do like that one. But I think you're right. I mean, why wouldn't you just do another rate increase? Because you make sense, right? Like, um, you know, if you really want to kill this, well, maybe this is. And the housing market's going back up, so we're not causing this real problem. If anything, the housing market is doing—it's not doing us favors. It's actually perpetuating this problem because people are feeling wealthier because their house prices are going up. So. Um, yeah, maybe another rate increase is just there. But I think even if there was another one, um, yeah, I mean, rent, mortgage arrears and debt stress is real, right? Particularly for people who upgraded in the 2020 to 2022, 2021. You know, 2019, actually, the boom started. So if you, you know, if you kind of upgraded in that space, took on a lot more debt, you know, um, and a lot of people, when they do upgrade, they, they do stretch themselves, you know. You know, we see that particularly for our clients, you know, they... They, they really maximise their capacity because what they're trying to do is lock in a home that's going to suit them for the long term. And A, the market, it, they have to do that because that's what it costs to get into the market. And B, there's a benefit in doing it rather than potentially buying something a little bit smaller, you know, a two-bed house that can't be renovated just so the mortgage feels comfortable, but then they shoot themselves in the foot, they have to upgrade in the future. That property's gone up at a faster rate than what they bought. They had to pay standard duty selling costs. And so it's all about sort of, uh, measure twice, cut once, right? So you know, you know, do stretch yourself. You know, make sure you can afford it. Have buffers, but you know, just try to get one property to suit you long term. And so, I would say that yeah. And if there is some problems with debt stress, I mean, Westpac was in the media this week, and you know, it doesn't look great. Um, you know, huge profits, but I mean, why shouldn't it look great? You know, we're, it's, it's that's all poppy syndrome that we're in. We should be celebrating the success of our. Um, banks, um, but we don't. Um, and what the banks are doing is their net interest margins are actually dropping, right? Um, and what he actually, uh, Peter King said, is that, you know, they're offering great pricing for their existing customers. And that is very true. Westpac St. George are one of the better banks on retention pricing for their existing customers. Um, and if you're at those banks, just give them a call. Um, even if they know you won't refinance, even if they know you're locked in with a fixed rate, they'll give you a better rate on your variable rate. Not all banks are playing this game this this nicely, to be honest. Um, and if you call them up and you're really in some problems, they basically said they're going to do COVID-like, which was six-month payment holidays, COVID-like measures for people who are really struggling. So even if you get to, and I wouldn't go down that route unless you have to. In COVID, there was like a, hey, anyone can do this. It won't affect your credit. There was that sort of um, coverage or insurance policy that you had. And so a lot of people just took that up, uh, myself included, to be honest. Uh, and uh, But in this situation, I wouldn't use it unless you have to because we don't know what the long-term consequences are. But if you have to use it, don't be afraid to use it because it's better than having to sell um, your property because 
let's say you do sell, you pay your two, three percent to sell. What are you going to do? You're going to buy something in the future. Then you've got to pay stamp duty. The market could run on you. There could be a huge opportunity cost. You may not be able to get back in because your borrowing capacity might not be able to afford it. Uh, and all these problems come. So really be careful rushing to sell. Investors are a different story. This is what we're seeing in the market. You know, when um, CoreLogic or you see all these listing numbers and they show really high listings in Sydney, um, you know, compared to long-term averages, if you cut that up into two different buckets, houses versus apartments, houses are at 10-year lows. Apartments are at 10-year highs, right? So that's the investors are selling. The owner-occupiers who generally own houses are not selling. And so, um, yeah, that's sort of my take on the moment is I think supply is going to stay really low. I think who knows what happens with rates, you know. Everyone's being taught a lesson in the last few years that no one really knows. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think it's going to be rate cuts sooner. And I also think it's going to be even more pressure on APRA to put another uh, when the rate cuts are coming, to put more fire on the on wood on the fire and to do a cut to their assessment rate. Well, yes, I mean you're right. Uh, anyone who went back and looked at the forecast from 2021 would have a heart attack at some of the economists' forecasts for interest rates. But yeah, if you look at policy rates, 2024, uh, Bank of England three rate cuts priced in. U.S. Federal Reserve rate cuts priced in. Eurozone rate cuts coming. You could also add Canada, New Zealand. I mean. Well, look, who really knows what's going to happen? But I think um, it's quite possible that we look back next year and think, well, actually, the RBA maybe had on the side of caution. We've gone too far. Uh, just out this week, actually, job ads fell 3%. Uh, so that's uh, gradual easing continues. But also uh, retail volumes have been very weak. We're basically in a retail recession uh, now, certainly on a per capita basis. And actually, yes, the monthly inflation data actually printed negative for October. And hopefully fuel prices might start to come down a bit as well. But that's after a flat result in September. So, uh, yeah, look, uh, if you actually look at three-month annualised figures on that gauge, inflation's at zero. So maybe we are fighting yesterday's war. We'll have to wait and see. So, uh, yeah, but we've been certainly taught a lesson on the forecasting game, Chris. Um, So second story of the week, the return of foreign buyers. So uh, multiple articles in the Fin Review and elsewhere, foreign buyer demand is back to multi-year highs, mainly in Sydney and Melbourne. Now, NAB puts out its uh, quarterly uh, residential property survey. They've got um, 10% of new property bought by uh, foreign residential demand. That's absolutely rocketing higher. That's um, uh, the highest we've seen in over half a decade, but also established property or existing property, about 4% of dwellings. And there's always that debate about um, is that foreign capital, you know, is that coming into Australian residents based in Australia? There's, there was a lot of debate in one of the AFR articles about the opaque nature of Chinese money in particular finding its way into the country. I mean, I never really know what to think about this. This clearly, it clearly happens. Um, and look, with a million Aussies of Chinese heritage, I mean, the number of pathways for capital to find its way in Um yeah, it's going to be a very leaky sieve, to say the least. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting when property prices start rising, Chris, that's when attention suddenly t- turns to uh, foreign buyers and particularly Chinese buyers. Yeah, I mean, I, I read an ABC article on um, the success of our highly, uh, basically the, the cashed-up visa scheme, right? So when you had 5 to $15 million and you basically wanted to buy a permanent residency, um, you know, I think the success and the number of us in, in Australia was really high in terms of... Um, the amount that we offered as a percentage of our population. I think a lot of those did go to Chinese and um, I think there's a lot of bit of a, uh, um, 
you know, a review of how many actually got declined and whether they were actually good for our economy. But ultimately, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing, you know, that we're getting foreign money into the country. We should be celebrating. That's another thing, you know, money coming from overseas, wanting to get into our economy. Um, that's what, you know, gets multiplied, right, in, into our economy. So it should be a good thing. I guess what the issue it has is when people think it's affecting housing affordability, it's affecting rental crisis, et cetera. But I think what I love seeing when if foreign investors are happy to buy our new property and we can make sure the building quality is really high, but we're building stuff that we actually need um, and they want to fund it, um, then I'm all for it, to be honest, because if we need to be building, that's what's going to alleviate future. And then if we make sure they don't just leave them empty, um, that they have to rent them out so we can put some type of big vacancy tax on it or something, then that's going to be great for our, um, our housing supply. It's going to be more dwellings. So if foreign investments... There is an issue there where you're getting foreign investment with residency and, and whether that really pays off. But, um, you know, that's why they try to have a high amount that you need to, to get that visa. So that would be my take. I think, you know, it's just going to be part of the story. Whether it really tips the scales, you know, you've got to remember that the housing market or the property market is worth $10 trillion. Um, and so when we look at these numbers, it, it's in the billions usually. Um, and usually well under, you know, 50 billion that we're talking the numbers. So we're talking very small drops in the ocean that they're adding, but it can be that move the marginal bias. So there are periods back in time when, particularly in certain suburbs and certain pockets, that, you know, because there's only limited properties for sale, if you increase demand a lot in a short time frame, i.e. with a lot of foreign buyers, it can really affect prices and um, affect local money. Um, because of that marginal buyer fit theory. So that would be my take on the, the foreign buyer story. Yes, I mean, it's interesting that this time around, it seems that a lot of the, uh, there's an article about Turak mansions and um, Sydney Eastern suburbs, trophy <laughs> homes. Um, so I think in the previous cycle, there was a lot of um, investors from the Chinese mainland buying new apartments in particular. It was the easiest way uh, for capital flight out of China. This time around, though, seems to be some very um, high-end purchases. And um, yes, yeah, so as the AFR touched on, sometimes bought through trust structures and it's you know, there's a lot less clarity over who who's the actual buyer there. But um, yeah, as you say, the, this stuff, if it if it moves prices at the margin, it can make a big difference. Um, the Yes, you're right, the triple eight visa, as they used to call it, uh, brought in a lot of um, sort of wealthy from China. We know millionaire migration. Australia is now the number one destination in the world, largely at the expense of China, India and Hong Kong. And um, yeah, but it, it, I guess there has been some pushback in other parts of the world. So if you look at Singapore and Canada and New Zealand, all of those places have actually brought um, measures into play to try and at least restrict uh, inbound capital, which is largely a China story, right? So I don't know whether Australia will go down that route. I mean, we already have the stamp duty surcharges for genuine non-resident buyers. and But it's a bit of a touchy subject at the moment because um, our prime minister is currently building bridges with China. And I guess they won't want to do anything to spook the horses in that regard. So yeah, look, it's, I mean, it's definitely a thing in the market. There's always that debate as to how much it moves the needle. Uh, but uh, very uh, popular. And I think we had a couple of years there where the pathways were largely shut off. There was no international travel. Mm. And we didn't have the international students here either, but that's all come rushing back. And maybe that's a part of the story. And certainly, uh, if you look at Jawai and some of the other real estate portals, they say uh, sort of interest and demand is at the highest they've seen in a long time. And I think that's partly due to record low rental vacancies and 
but also just people trying to poke money in the country, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I'm not up to date 100% with the Chinese sort of tax policy and inheritance and things like that, but I do think there's some issues there from talking to people where, um, you know, if you do die in China and you've got an estate and then the government's ownership of that and whether that passes down generations and things like that. And so um, there is always going to be that capital flight where, um, yeah, they might take it to areas where they don't have access to it. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's an interesting story to watch because, it is one of those easy targets that people blame when prices are going up when it's not really always the case, but it's just one of those things that people like to say, oh, the reason things are going up is because the migration of these and it's going up is because of, you know, money from China. It's just not that simple, but um, it is one to watch, particularly if it starts to increase over the coming years. It'll be on the front pages as the reason we have all these problems. Certainly will. Uh, so, Chris, third and final news story this week. Um, just a, a broad uh, piece, I guess. Australia's regional renaissance, which we saw during COVID. I mean, a question as to how well that will be sustained. Uh, the reason I bring it up is because I was um, on Cameron Murray's Fresh Economic Thinking podcast. And we, we had quite a long chat about this. And obviously, the, the COVID boom or rush into the regions was unprecedented in some regards. And there's a bit of a question as to how much that might reverse, certainly in some of the tree change regions. But obviously, on the other hand, some of it is here to stay. Now, Cameron said um, that the, you know the capital cities do have some unique benefits in terms of their economies of scale. If you look globally, there's you know you generally find the big cities just keep on growing. And we had a bit of a debate about what governments could actually do to support regional living, because I guess. What it would require is more infrastructure investment, but also things like healthcare, schools. You know, do you introduce things like, you know, special incentives or economic zones, which sometimes gets them into trouble over picking winners? Or do you think, are we just going to go back to pumping up the capital cities, uh, which is, I guess, largely what the story of the previous couple of decades was? I think this is just a story of ebbs and flows, right? I think the power right now is the conversations between employers and employees and um, employers are putting their foot down and saying, get back to the office. I also think a little of employees are a bit overworking from home a little bit and they're saying, actually, you know, I do want to get into the city. I'm I'm enjoying it. There's a bit more of a mojo there. There's a bit more of a vibe, um, you know, uh, and they're enjoying that sort of connection with humans again rather than just working at home and maybe their home situations is, you know, busy, you know, maybe it isn't, you know, great to be working home, especially when the partner's working from home as well and, um, you know, maybe there's a pressure on their job as they've got that confidence around that they did maybe two years ago that, hey, no one's ever going to make me redundant because labour's expensive, everything's expensive right now, right? So, um, and we're going into a bit more of a slower time. So employers are a little bit more conscious. Hey, that's why job ads are coming down. So I think, though, but once, if affordability stays really low, which it is likely to, right? So if you think about Sydney, it's unlikely prices are going to fall back to a level where everything's affordable again. Um, so, But once prices are out of reach in areas that people want to move to, um, I now they're probably buying the bigger apartments. But when they can't afford the bigger apartments, they're going to be like, well, I can't afford a house, I can't afford a bigger apartment, I need some space, um, I have got a job that can allow me to work from home one or two days, um, or I could get a job that would allow me to do that, I'm going to lock that in and then I'm going to move regionally. So I think, you know, that it, that's what happened in 2016, 2017. We saw a lot of people move up to Brisbane. 
um, out of Sydney. We saw that a lot in COVID where a lot of people left um, Sydney, A, because of the benefits and doing so affordability lifestyle and their belief around work from home, but also because they couldn't get what they want in Sydney. They wanted a house. They couldn't get a house. Um, but I think just in the last 12, 18 months, there's just been a, a retraction back to the city, you know, the whole battle with work and work from home. But I think as that sort of plays out, um, more and more employers will offer flexible work just to get talent. That'll be one of the differentiations in the marketplace when they're pitching for that talent is that we offer that. Um, and then that allows people to escape the city. And, um, you know, I think there's a, there is a huge drive from young, you know, families and couples, particularly with not strong family ties to any certain pocket, um, to go where the lifestyle is and go where their friends are moving to. Um, and usually their friends are all at a similar stage, right? They're all you know, maybe living in an apartment or renting. They're all getting to this sort of family stage. Then one of them goes to Central Coast and then another one goes and then two are there and then three of them go and then all of a sudden a whole group of people go. Um, the similar thing we saw in the north of Wollongong or, you know, we haven't seen too many people do real region like, you know, like South Coast and New South Wales or, you know, a big group of people move to Byron or anything, but absolutely those. And in Newcastle we've seen that. We've seen like one client go and two or three clients follow them, um, you know, because they're all close friends and they all haven't got strong family ties. Um, they were all from overseas as well. So, um, yeah, I just think it's it's a bit of a, you know, when the city goes up, the regions go up. When the city goes up, then the regions go up. I think it's going to, particularly the regions that are a good substitute for, you know, uh, and, and commutable to the city. I think that's where Cameron and I landed on this whole debate. I think, um yeah, I mean, he was sort of saying, well, hang on, we moved to the regions and then they became less affordable. But I think that was partly just because those smaller markets, it takes a relatively smaller number of people to move there and suddenly there's a boom. But actually, over time, you do have more space. I think, you know, in some ways, we need to stop pretending that we're going to have people in Sydney's inner west with big backyards and gardens. There just there isn't enough space to do yeah. that sustainably and affordably. And there's too many people coming in. So but that can be done. In the regions. Interesting anecdote for you this week, actually. Uh, my old man used to work in corrective services. And uh, just um, a story about a guy um, did uh, 20 years in the clink. This is a labor market story for you. Um, got released um, after a couple of decades in jail and um, walked into, he thought he would never get a job. You know, this was the thing. And he walked into a local uh, cafe or bakery. He was hired on the spot. And uh, um, sort of a year later or two years later now, they're still employed. And, um, you know, when my, my dad checked in with him, he says, you know, well, what about the reference checks? Well, well, they didn't, nobody's ever asked me, you know, like, and that, that was the nature of the labor force. We had enormous labor shortages. Everything was in the favor of the employee. There was people who were out of the labor force coming in, but I guess that's going to change over the next year or two. And as you said, I actually saw in the past week or two, couple of the big financial firms and financial services companies are now tying bonuses to time in the office. Uh, some businesses are actually enforcing people back into the office, which is not always very popular. So look, there's, there's definitely a push-pull thing going on here. And uh, I guess the balance of power is about to shift a bit more in favor of the employer. And yeah, I think you're right. I think um, you know genuine regional shifts out to the bush yeah, that's probably not going to sustain in Australia. It, you know, it's a tough climate for that for one thing. But, yeah, generally people want to go where there's a bit of a buzz, where something's really happening, where friends are going, there's a bit of a trend. You know, Sunshine Coast, we've certainly seen that. Newcastle, we've been buying lots of property in Newcastle. That's really pumping. 
but maybe it's those sort of cities within a couple of hours of the capitals that are going to be the main beneficiaries over the long term. Yeah, I think, yeah, the COVID was unusual and people were going all over the place. But uh, yeah, as uh, Cameron said, over the long run, the, the big cities do have some advantages. And maybe if you've got good transport and good schools in particular, then yeah, those maybe those peri-urban uh, cities that are sort of within a couple of hours of the capitals are going to be the place to be. Yeah, we've actually got a few clients on the go again. Um, you know, we saw lots and lots pre-COVID. I would have said this on the podcast before. We spoke about moving to the Central Coast. We spoke about the north of Wollongong, you know. Um, I was in this camp, to be honest. We were like, you know, getting to that housing stage, upgrading family. You know, where do we go and try to settle? Do we look at, you know, the Avoca? Do we look at the rural? Do we We end up any, near Avalon in um, Northern Beaches? That was sort of the spot we decided on. But you know, where we could still get to the city on a daily basis if we need to, but it still was giving us that sort of community life that we desired. And that's one of the benefits of these, you know, uh, spots. Everyone knows they're going to see everyone around every day. So they make the effort and they real um, have a tight-knit community rather than the centre of a capital city. You, you might not ever see someone again. So I think that's uh, absolutely going to come back. And I think uh, it's just a matter of time to advise, start making that shift again. Uh, because there's, there's a pendulum, right? They need a solution and, you know, something's going to crack first. And I don't think they can find a solution in Sydney because they're going to miss out. So they're going to move and then they're going to have to find a job that suits the move. Whereas at the moment they're like, actually, I want to just get a, a property that's going to suit the job. I think they're going to flip it the other way because it's going to become more and more important to have housing security and stability, particularly when you've got little ones. Um most people only get kicked out of rentals once or twice, um, particularly with kids. So their desire to buy goes absolutely berserk. Um, they 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 get fed up with renting. They get fed up with getting told to move out. It's so stressful. Um, it just helped a, a close friend, you know, even move a couple of weeks ago because it was just um, yeah, it's really tough. So um, yeah, I think the the regions are a good bet at the moment, particularly those commutable ones like the Central Coast you know, Newcastle potentially, you know, is commutable, you know, on a fortnightly basis. North of Wollongong, Geelong, Mornington Peninsula. Mornington Peninsula is probably an interesting one. There's a lot of challenges in the Victorian market with second homes and land taxes and, um, you know, a lot going on in Victoria. Um, but, I mean, the, the Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast, I, I think that's a, that's a good bet as well, right? You know, as, as people get pushed out of the inner ring of Brisbane and where they really want to live in Brisbane, do they start looking, even though those markets are just as um, unaffordable, I guess, you, you reckon they're paid as well? Absolutely, yeah. And I, I, um, I was also wondering, you know, with this latest interest rate hike, whether we might see more builders and developers going under. And it, is that the, the lack of rental security? That problem's not going away. I, I think um, there was a lot of capital raised in the build-to-rent sector. But I, I was just looking this week at, you know, the total return from build-to-rent in the UK over the past five years has been 2.8% per annum, including the capital growth. So it's not nothing, but it's not compelling. Now, I was just thinking, you know, that if you look at what we, you would term the risk-free rate in Australia, so you could take the 10-year bond yield as the risk-free return, well, that's been nearly 5%. Who's going to be building build-to-rent portfolios? We've been assessing those on a cap rate of about 4 I think a lot of this build-to-rent story is going to go by the wayside with the cash rate where it is. And, mm. yeah, if you look over the the long run, the neutral rate should be about three and a half. I, I just wonder whether, you know, this this whole story about, well, the institutions are going to come to the rescue 
of the housing market. Well, I'm not so sure now. And also, yeah, tenant rights have gone up. Long-term leases are very hard to come by now because it's hard to evict for landlords. So maybe that's the story for next week, Chris. We could probably talk all day on this. But uh, yeah, I do think that rental security issue is going to keep the pressure on people to buy if they can. And um, and first-time buyers, you know, they'd much rather try and get in than rent because the rental market is stuffed at the moment. Well, let's tease everyone for that to come up next week. <laughs> let's make that our first story next week, Pete. Um, yeah, obviously, if you want to learn want to learn more about Pete, follow his blog. I'm sure you're already following it all because you've been listening to us. Um, best blog in Australia. If you'd love to chat to myself, just check in the, the show notes. There's a link to our mortgage broking. What else have we got to cover, Pete? Anything I missed? I think that's it. You're a much better marketer than me, Chris. So, uh, yeah, look forward <laughs> to catching up next week. And, uh, yeah, uh, click like and subscribe, as they always say, and we'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service. Designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.